Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to prepare pastors and other church leaders in a biblically and confessionally faithful way for the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president and associate professor of Old Testament at RTS Washington, and I'm joined here by Dr. Peter Lee, associate professor of Old Testament and Dean of Students at RTS. Hey, Peter. Hi, Scott. Good to be with you again. Great to have you. Also joined by Dr. Tommy Keene, Associate Professor of New Testament and Academic Dean at RTS. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Scott. And I'm joined by Dr. Paul Jean, lecturer in New Testament and senior pastor at New City PCA Church here in the Northern Virginia area. Hey, Paul. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Also joined by Dr. Grace Sutanto, who until next week will be the already not yet professor of systematic theology here at RTS Washington, but is starting June 1 full time. We're going to make him a bona fide faculty member. Hey, Gray. Hey, Scott. Great to be here once again. We're also joined today by special guest Jennifer Patterson. She's the director of the Institute of Theology and Public Life. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks. Great to be with you guys. It's great to have you. Let me talk a little bit about a little your background, and then I just want to dive into this topic that we've been talking about of public theology or applying theology in public life. We've done a bit of an introduction. We've talked through what this looks like in the context, particularly of American society and some of the issues that arise within American culture. And now we're going to talk about... Um, you know, as we were talking about this before, Jennifer, you said this is kind of the content part. Okay, we had the we had the the rationale for public theology, we had the context of public theology, and now we're going to talk about some of the content of public theology. And I think that's a great way of thinking about this three-part series. And it's important to have you not only because of your work at the Institute of Theology and Public Life, but just the fact that you've been doing this for many years, right? You're you're coming. I mean, even right now, you're still a senior visiting fellow uh, at the Heritage Foundation. Before that, you were one of their VPs and you were in charge of the Institute for Family, Community, and Opportunity, overseeing a ton of research on that for, for multiple years. Before that, you were working with cultural policy issues that empower America. And even before that, you were at the Family Research Council, which is where I first met you back in the 90s before I headed off to seminary and we struck up a friendship. Um, You've had a lot of experience on the applied side of this. What does this look like to apply theology and Christian commitments into the way that we think about policy decisions that we are all facing? And so you've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of, of of miles in terms of how to do this in a real world scenario. So I'd like to start with this question: What brought you to this idea of theology in the public life? And um, you know, what have been kind of the main influences as you've been working up to the, to the work that you're doing now? Well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I started asking these questions in college. I was at Wheaton College in the early 90s, and I'd grown up in a reform background. And the, I guess that uh, desire to apply the, our faith to issues around us, to work out a Christian worldview on the basis of biblical truth, 
had had been well uh, trained in me, and and so I was asking these questions, not having grown up in a in a political background. I didn't politics was not a big issue in my family, uh, in the community I was in at the time, and so as I became more aware of the political arena in college. I wondered how is it that we as Christians are to engage this aspect of life, this aspect of the, of the public square? And those questions just kind of uh, prompted me to be looking around at how do you, uh, who's talking about this? Who's, who's looking at this sphere? And I, I found my way to Washington DC and did what I thought would be a 10 week uh, internship and ended up here 25 years later, a quarter century later, uh, still doing this work. And so these questions have been uh, very interesting to me, uh, particularly, as you mentioned, from the practitioner side. Uh, how is it that we think about uh, the flourishing of communities and um, care for our neighbor, love our neighbor, through uh, this means of public policy? And uh, I've had a number of opportunities to do that. Along the way, after more than a decade in this work, I, I wanted to reflect more on the, the theological underpinnings of it. And that prompted me to enroll at Reformed Theological Seminary, Washington, D.C., as a student um, and pursued a Master's of Arts in Religion there. And as a part of uh, my work and culminating project there, uh, thought out the architecture of how, how could we uh, form students in thinking about theology and public life. And for the last several years, I've had the wonderful opportunity of working uh, with Dr. Red and the team at RTSDC in uh, implementing uh, such a, a curriculum in thinking about how we could help students in the Washington, D.C. area be prepared uh, to, to think about this sphere. And that means both people who might be public policy practitioners themselves, uh, whether staffers on Capitol Hill, uh, working in the Defense Department, uh, in the intelligence agencies, in a variety of roles across this city, our national capital. And it also includes those who are preparing for ministry to those practitioners. So the pastors in our churches in this area uh, are, are, are week to week preaching to those who will be carrying out their callings in the public square. How can we equip those in ministry to practitioners in the public policy arena to, uh, to, to grapple with the kinds of things that they're facing, uh, to speak into that and, and uh, understand the interaction of theology in the public square. So with that, we have organized the Institute for Theology and Public Life, uh, a series of courses that include um, uh, some, some foundational courses and some elective courses. I'd be happy to go on about those. Yeah, well, the Institute of Theology and Public Life is really addressing that need of how to connect these religious theological commitments to downstream decision-making in the public square, whether that's in the area of policy or other kind of public vocations. Yeah, I've been struck, Jennifer, by even how many pastors having come through, taking these classes maybe as an elective, they had to fill some elective credits, but they walked away saying, you know, this actually addressed some issues that hadn't been addressed elsewhere in the seminary context and just 
help me think in a, in a more full orbed way about what being a Christian looks like in this world. So can you talk a little bit more about the Institute of Theology and Public Life, which in many ways is kind of your, you know, your brainchild in that this came out of a thesis that you did while you were at RTS and we were talking about um, what this institute would look like and you actually volunteered, hey, can I make my thesis be about setting up the curriculum and sort of the white paper positions on some of these issues. Um, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit more about the, the arc of the Institute of Theology and Public Life and, and what we're trying to accomplish there. Sure. We really start with the conviction that we want to work from biblical and systematic theology to the application of those doctrines in public life. And this is contrasted, if you will, with the uh, more academic approaches that are historical in nature, looking at uh, uh, political theology, public theology through history, um, contrasted with uh, some of the more um, uh, topical approaches that would begin with, uh, with public policy issues and work their way back in, into uh, biblical ideas underpinning them. We're trying to work our way out from uh, biblical truth, from systematic theology, and uh, think about how do how does this framework, how do these uh, convictions that we're beginning with on the basis of scripture, how does that affect our outlook on public life and the way that we interact with the challenges and issues of our day? Uh, so many of the issues that we are uh, facing are ones that require multiple principles to be applied. And so uh, by, by having that conversation between theology and the issues of our day, uh, we're aiming to ground students in a framework that will help them um, for any number of issues that will, will come along. So what does this look like in practice? We have at the Institute a set of two foundational courses. Um, the first one is the Foundations of Theology and Public Life. And here we're dealing uh, specifically with uh, what are those core uh, theological commitments that are going to most be relevant to the public square. So these are ideas like um, the good of creation. Uh, that's going to have an effect on our disposition towards public life. Um, related to that, what is our eschatology? Eschatological commitments affect uh, a, a person's disposition towards uh, the public square. Uh, image of God, common grace, Kingdom. These these ideas uh, we we work through and think about their interaction in, uh, in in both in theology and in as it applied to public life. So that's our first foundational course. A second course is terms of cultural engagement and recognizing that what we've just done in that first semester long course is not the process that most people are taking and approaching these issues. And so how do we talk across those differences of presuppositions, those differences of assumptions as we enter the public square? What are the ways that people are dealing with the increasing secularism in our society and, and being able to have conversations across those differences? Uh, and, and that's what we grapple with in the second semester. The, the rest of the courses that we offer are rotating electives that deal with the three areas of public policy. Public policy has traditionally been broken up into economic policy, social policy, and foreign policy. 
And so each year we try to have an elective that treats a subject within each of those three domains. We've had Dr. Alan Roberts, a graduate of Washington, D.C., campus of Reformed Theological Seminary, come and teach for us a course on bioethics and the end of life. Uh, he's a practicing critical care physician who has been on the ethics board of a, a major hospital in the Washington, D.C. area, and he's helped us think through the interaction of theological commitments and these end-of-life crisis situations in ways that have been extremely applicable, uh, not only for public policy, but for pastors thinking about their own ministry in the context of those situations. Um, we've, uh, we've had Rosaria Butterfield uh, address issues of sexuality and gender. Uh, we've had Brian Fickert of the Chalmers Center at Covenant College come and teach a class on effective compassion. Uh, we've had experts in foreign policy come and teach about the role of religion in public policy today. These are the kinds of electives that we have in the Institute of Theology and Public Life to complement the two foundational courses. And I think Alan Roberts is a good example of the kind of student that we were seeing coming through the program who, you know, he, he, was, he was considering a call to the pastorate and while in seminary actually realized that his role in the hospital um, was better served by his theological education and actually realized his vocation to healthcare, you know, became the uh, chairman of the ethics committee at his hospital and was applying a lot of things that he had done, you know, learned about at RTS. And, and we thought, okay, if he's coming through and kind of getting the crumbs that drop from the table, as it were, how about what happens if we have some classes that directly address some of the issues that he's facing and doing it in a way that is aware of how fractious of a society and fractious our political discourse is right now. And really asking kind of these questions, not how do I start with my partisan conclusions and then attach some Bible verses to them, right? But rather starting with theological commitments and then exploring the avenues that open up as a result of that. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been really great about the program is watching people with different political commitments be able to sit down and at least acknowledge all of these major sort of deeply foundational issues that we agree upon and that we're honestly trying sometimes through trial and error to apply and figure out what's the best, best way to apply it in, in a real world situation. Jennifer, you mentioned kind of having that reformed backdrop, Wheaton College, you know, so that, that theological mindset has always been a part of, uh, of your MO. How, how, uh, what, what are the kind of reformed commitments that you think best support and anchor your work in, in, in public life? What, what theological doctrines would you draw from uh, in doing theology in the, in the public square? As I mentioned, we're starting from both biblical, theological, and systematic theological commitments. And I think very importantly, uh, from the biblical theological perspective, uh, knowing the arc of redemptive history and having a, a grasp of where we stand in that in the church age here, um, the already not yet of, of our, our standing. And uh, tempering our aspirations with regard to the public square as a result of that. Um, the, uh, the doctrines that pertain to uh, creation and image of God are so rich uh, with understanding of the, the ways that we 
can seek the good of uh, the world around us, the, to love our neighbor, the, uh, to seek the good of our neighbor, uh, to, to have the confidence that God has created this world uh, for his glory and for our good, for the, the flourishing of human beings. And then thinking through the ways in which sin has, has marred that, and how can we be about the work of, uh, of restoration and, and uh, serving to testify to the way uh, that God has made the world for its flourishing. Uh, so I think particularly um, a richness in understanding the image of God, uh, the conversation over the last couple of weeks has already touched uh, very uh, deeply and, and encouragingly on, the, uh, on Herman Bavink's treatment of the image of God. And, uh, the depth of that understanding that we as in our whole being are reflecting uh, God are made to reflect God and that then the entirety of, of humanity is made to reflect God and thinking about that the application of that in public life is is um, deeply motivating to me and I hope to many people to think about uh, those things that we should be pursuing uh, and uh, encouraged to uh, seek after in that doctrine of the image of God and the profundity with which Herman Bavink expresses it, I think is a real motivation to engage in the public square and to seek the good of our neighbors uh, and to, to look for public policy that will help to do that. A quick follow-up. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested the role of exegesis in your work. Uh, Scott mentioned, you know, the danger of just attaching a, a Bible verse to a pre-held position and, and, and those kind of, that exegetical training can be a real, uh, real safeguard against that. Uh, do you find that to, to be the case? Are, are you, do you use more of those kind of the, the theological payoff in your work or is there a kind of integration of scripture into your, you know, into, into policy and things of that nature? What we're seeking is the set of principles that are theologically derived, biblically derived, the principles that will help us work out into public policy. So I think that's the, the zone that we're particularly working on. You know, it's interesting that the questions that are challenging us most in our public square today are issues having to do with what it means to be human. Um, what our very understanding of uh, sexuality is, of gender is, um, how we deal with challenges that um, at, on their face appear material, challenges like poverty and so on, but are really much deeper than that and go to far more than the material uh, issues of life. And it, it's these kinds of challenges that prove most um, long lasting, if you will, uh, in the public square that Christians can particularly speak to today. Uh, and so we need, uh, we need pastors, we need theologians, we need those who are reflecting deeply on these scriptural truths to be illuminating what scripture says about them so that we can be equipped with 
strong grounding in, for instance, what it means to be uh, made in the image of God, male and female, made for one another in uh, the relationship of marriage and in the context of community. Uh, that is an example of the kinds of uh, principles that we need to engage the, the questions that our culture is asking uh, today. And helping to encourage that in the church uh, is, is a part of what we're trying to do. Jennifer, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the area of, um, of our institute and, and the application of biblical and theological truths in the areas of public life. But I guess since you mentioned pastors on several different occasions, I'm curious on what, if you could help some of our pastor listeners on what that might look like in the context of the church. A lot of what you'd address is like believers with the applications of biblical and uh, theological doctrines in, in their particular private lives as they are engaging in, in the world around us. Uh, what, what can a pastor do? Is it, is it preaching and application? Is it Sunday school classes? I mean, that alone I know would be a, a huge step forward. Uh, I, I was wondering if you had any ideas on what, uh, what, that, what, what that would look like. I think we need to begin by observing that the questions that our culture is most urgently asking have to do with some very central core biblical truths. I've mentioned here what it means to be human, the nature and purpose of human life. Um, that and other questions like it that are that are coming up in the, the middle of the, the, the fray of, of uh, public discourse are, are directly in the, the purview of preaching and of teaching in the church. Um, so part of what we want to do here is simply encourage those in leadership in the church and teaching positions in the church to do with boldness what they are currently doing. And um, in addition, perhaps to new ways of thinking about that, um, engage with, uh, be a part of a, a discourse that we're trying to facilitate at the, at the seminary through these kinds of courses, may be found elsewhere too, getting to know the issues around us well enough to discern within them what's really at stake here. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, back and forth argumentation that is, is burying sometimes what the core issue is. So part of our discernment as Christian citizens is to be able to discern what's at stake in an issue. And then um, for the, the teacher and the pastor to, to preach to that core issue, which as I'm defining it, as I'm trying to describe in this approach, um, is the, the core theological truth at stake about, uh, about human nature, about uh, human life, about the way that the God has made the world, about our understanding of history, whatever the issue may be at the core of, of the debate in public life, um, discern that and, and preach scripture well to those kinds of issues. Um, I've been very intrigued by the example of Augustine and um, City of God is a masterpiece and, and wonderful to, to reflect on in so many ways. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about in recent months is uh, the way that Augustine applied scriptural truths to the issues of his day. I mean, the city of God is an, 
apologetic response to charges about uh, the Roman Empire's adoption of Christianity and that that was uh, responsible for its decline. City of God, Augustine's masterpiece, is written as an apologetic response refuting that on one level. And then there are multiple levels on which he's doing other things. And then he, the, the many, many letters that he wrote, um, and I'm leaning particularly here on the work of Robert Dodaro, Catholic uh, scholar of Augustine. The, the letters that Augustine wrote uh, throughout his um, time as a bishop are really um, dealing with a very practical application of theological truth to the problems around him uh, that dealt with issues of um, the rule of law, um, excessive punishments, uh, how did um, economic uh, challenges that were facing people within his uh, sphere of influence. And he studied those questions enough to know how to apply his theological expertise at the same time as he was very, very much understanding the jurisdiction of the political authority and his own jurisdiction. But he, he had looked into those questions enough to, to think about how his theological expertise could come to bear on the, the intricacies of the, the question at hand. So um, this I think is a lesson for those who are engaged in moral theology, those who are engaged in uh, pastoral leadership. I think it's very important for those with theological expertise to also have respect for the calling of the public servant so that theologians get to know that calling of public uh, life well enough that they can serve it with their expertise and that there can be a reciprocal exchange of believers in those different callings that they can serve one another with their respective expertise areas. I love what I'm hearing here. Um, I see uh, interconnection, one might say even an organic connection between exegesis, biblical theology, historical theology, our tradition. And of course, Augustine, as you mentioned, is such a great example in his city of God and doing and thinking about theology and its relationship with public life, his understanding of the two spheres of existence, right? Public life and what he was uh, after with understanding the scriptures as reciprocal and interconnected. Um, moving from Augustine perhaps to the present day, could you give perhaps a few quick examples from how theology could inform how we think about those three areas of policy you mentioned, economic, social, or foreign? Sure. So th thinking particularly about the issue of poverty, if we look around us at the question of poverty here, particularly in our context in the United States, um, studying that topic, we're, we're going to find that the issues of poverty in, uh, in, in North America are, are quite different from the developing world. And digging beyond the surface of what appears first as material need, we find that there's needs that go far beyond that. And it, the uh, economic poverty in the United States is often correlated with relational breakdown here. And that's going to uh, then bring us to reflect on our understanding of what it means to be human and what human flourishing is. That leads us again to our in, uh, understanding of the image of God and the nature and purpose of human beings. And 
based on what we understand about the image of God, we know that we are made as relational beings. Uh, this means that we're, uh, it is uh, critically important that we be in, that our, our flourishing is related to uh, the context of family, that it, the context of community. And when we see erosion, particularly in those most intimate relationships of the family, we are going to experience hardship. We're going to witness hardship. And so the bundle of needs surrounding poverty is, is really one that goes beyond economic, beyond the material need to that of relational need as well. Um, and we also know being made in the image of God after uh, the pattern of our creator is that we are made to work. We are made with a, uh, a desire and, a, and a, um, uh, we are fitted and designed to work after the pattern of our creator. Uh, that means that the, the holistic help uh, that we give to someone must help uh, unlock that aspect of their dignity. And the importance of relationship, the importance of work, these things derived from the image of God, the doctrine of the image of God, should be a part of how we understand questions of poverty and affect our, our responses, whether those be through public policy or through our charitable efforts. In, in either of those, are we diagnosing the holistic need of an individual made in the image of God? And are we uh, than addressing it in the fullness of what it means to be uh, flourishing with respect to relationship to God, relationship to others, relationship to the uh, created world. Uh, that's what uh, effective compassion is going to look like, is uh, the, the, the flourishing in all those areas, including the material, but more than the material. Public policy questions have often been flattened to a merely material level a materialist understanding of uh, the world around us. And, and we have, um, as Christians, a much deeper and broader understanding of what the way that God has made the world. Uh, with We are fallen human beings with transcendent longings. Politics is about ordering our lives together. Uh, how we as a community say, this thing is good and we want to pursue it together. Uh, this thing is not good. Uh, we, we want to avoid it. It's how we reconcile our perspectives about those things. And I think that we can be very uh, confident as Christians speaking into that uh, based on what we understand from scripture about the nature and purpose of human life. There's something that happens when we teach language um, I know when I teach Hebrew, this comes up, students will say, you know, I didn't really understand English, English grammar until I studied another language. And I think there's something to that, to what you see happen in the Institute of Theology and Public Life, as you start to look at the other worldviews and presuppositions and value commitments that are even subtly slipping into our public discourse, like materialism, for instance, you don't really realize, oh, wait a minute, the scripture calls me to a different view, right? And, and you start to not only become aware of biblical worldview, to use that phrase, and that's a freighted phrase to some extent, or just biblical outlook on life, and you start to become aware not only of that as you're studying scripture and looking at, uh, looking at the tradition, 
but also become aware of these other belief systems that have kind of slipped into your own way of thinking because of your own just cultural captivity. You know, and I, and I think that's another important value to this is that so many of us in our public discourse, because we, we kind of slide right into whatever's being, you know, discussed on your favorite website or social media or the cable news channels, and you don't realize actually that there's a whole set of values and outlooks that are playing into this discourse. And you need to be just as aware of what those are as you are of, you know, what, what scripture is teaching, right? So that you can just rightly steward your own role in that conversation. So I, I think that's been a really excellent part of this study for me is helping me become just more of a discerning conversant, right? Correspondent in this kind of dialogue and recognizing the other influences that are, that are coming in, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly. I love what I'm hearing here. I'm hearing, I think, what we might call an organic holistic model of the relationship between theology and public life. Can we think of any, perhaps, or anticipate any possible objections to bringing in theology to public life? Secularism uh, in recent decades has very much had a different perspective than we're talking about here. Um, uh, I'm thinking particularly of the work of John Rawls and establishing uh, a standard of public reason, the idea that our public discourse should leave uh, religious and other comprehensive philosophical commitments aside and that we would enter uh, the public square using a discourse that he calls public reason uh, that might be described as the, the greatest common denominator of everyone's views. And this is, is problematic in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, he, he's offering this proposal as a way of um, ostensibly trying to achieve respect and the, it's the duty we owe to one another as citizens out of respect to one another that we would um, leave behind our religious or philosophical viewpoints um, and, and that we'd be better able to harmonize our perspectives. Um, but as many commentators have reflected on his work, uh, the, the way to really try to work out together uh, our life together in, in, in the political order, we need to be talking about our, our deep commitments and trying to understand one another's perspectives, trying to understand one another's presuppositions and working it out from there. Uh, some of the greatest examples of this that we could think about in the, the deep conflicts of American history um, would fall way outside the scope of, of the public reason demands and thinking Abraham Lincoln's uh, understanding, his second inaugural, for example, and all the theological content that it had, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and, and the theological premises about uh, what it means to be human that he brought to the public square. Those were profound articulations and ones that are, are, are important to, to getting to, to harmonize our understandings of how to work out our life together here um, with competing ideas about the good. Uh, but we cannot uh, just sidestep those. We do have to appreciate the fact that people are coming with different points of view and uh, be wise to understanding what's at the root of them. This is part of the reason in our terms of cultural engagement course that we really 
try to learn from those who have spent a long time diagnosing uh, the nature of secularism. Um, so we're reading Leslie Newbegin, um, we're reading How Not to Be Secular, James K. Smith's uh, um, appropriation of Charles Taylor's major work on a secular age. Uh, we, can, we can learn from those who have spent a lot of time diagnosing learn from those diagnoses, and then um, think through our own application and our own sphere of influence. I am uh, loving our public, our institute all the more as you're sharing all of these things, and, and it's terrific. But I, I guess I have a question is, um, if public theology is based on, on biblical and theological truths the way that uh, we've been articulating, then should there be no disagreement among Christians in matters of public life? Is there like a one common Christian voice that represents certain matters of public policy? I think that we're going to have a variety of uh, ways to answer that question based on the issue. There are some things that scripture is um, very clear on, and uh, we would talk about the dignity of human life, the protection of human life um, at all stages. Um, and then there would be things that uh, scripture does not illuminate in particular detail for us. And where we are looking for scriptural principle to prudentially apply. And that's where we may have a range of responses to things. After we've discerned that the issue of poverty is related to uh, the image of God and it's related to uh, the role and responsibility of different institutions in society from the family um, to the community to the church, uh, government's role there. Uh, once we've understood uh, the, the institutional roles and responsibilities, we may have some differing positions on precisely how to prudentially apply that. Um, we may have some prudential differences with regard to economic details, uh, a variety of things. But uh, the critical thing is, I think we're missing opportunities to really discern what principles are at stake in particular uh, public policy issues. And to, to have our conversation, even amongst Christians, focus at that level uh, rather than getting swept too far downstream into what I would describe as more the political fray or remaining too far upstream in ways that don't ever get applied prudentially uh, to a, a particular issue. When we apply the biblical text into the world around us to answer the questions that are facing us today, I, I think we should even expect a diversity of applications and that's part of being a Christian. That's actually a part of what the you know, wisdom literature is describing in laying out wisdom as the way to discern what the pertinent issues are. That's, that's part of uh, the work of the sage in the Old Testament even. I think about this idea of you know, should you answer a fool in his folly or should you not? Well, wisdom literature gives a rationale for both answers. Wisdom is about discerning which situation applies in which case. And I often think that's the case with public theology too. There can be a, there can be a variety of values at play that come out of good and necessary consequence of scripture. And yet Christians, because we're finite and because we have limited purviews and limited, we're limited to our autobiographies and we're limited to our communities and discourses, we shouldn't be surprised that there's actually a variety of applications. But as Jennifer said, I mean, I think it's so important for us to, realize what we share in common as we're coming to these differences. 
And that itself is kind of, particularly in today's day and age where we have such a, a fractured society, that itself is kind of radical to acknowledge this kind of deep undergirding shared belief within the church, even in light of these very you know, passionately held positions in the political sphere. And I, I think it's not just about how can, can we all just get along, but it is really laying hold of these deep biblical roots that, um, that we all have. Let's talk about any recommended readings that could lead us in a, a fruitful direction in terms of looking into and having a more robust notion of how theology applies in the public square. We've already talked about City of God, which should always be recommended at all times and on all issues. So uh, I'll put that one out there. You, you talked about James K. Smith's sort of a pricey on Charles Taylor's much larger work about secular, about the secular age. I often recommend, if you don't have time for Taylor, read Smith. If you don't have time for Smith, read Tim Keller's chapter in his preaching book on secularism. If you've, if you've got 20 minutes, uh, read that. It gives you a great overview of Taylor's argument and I think does actually make us much more aware of just what we're looking at, not only what we've imbibed ourselves uh, by living in this, this phase of secularism, but also uh, the beliefs and the commitments of those around us. Any other recommendations? I would definitely recommend Matthew Kamen's book, Christian Hospitality and Muslim Immigration. I think that's a really helpful book in thinking about how, especially a Kuyperian approach to uh, public life can actually really inform our way of thinking about the issue of religious diversity and of immigration as well. Um, he's bringing to bear tools uh, to think about principal pluralism, uh, common grace, without at the same time uh, watering down our convictions about the antithesis, for example, in discussing religious diversity and foreign policy. It's a really useful book. It was from Erdman's, I think it was published 2018. Well, I would recommend Gray Sutanto, James Eglinton, and Corey Brock's translation of Christian Worldview by, uh, by Herman Bovink. That's a great place in terms of just analyzing, analyzing the values, the theological commitments that should inform our outlook in the world. We tend to think of politics as electoral horse race, whose team's up, whose team's down. And really, uh, our conversation here, what we're trying to do in the Institute, is to take a new look at the political and to reflect on the political as one way that we order our lives together. Um, Oliver O'Donovan is very uh, rich in his reflections about that. Um, and I think for pastors then, our conversation has brought up two things uh, that need to be held in somewhat intention. That is that politics is not an absolutely foreign technical field that uh, those who are in the theological disciplines have no insight into. Uh, we shouldn't treat it as such. It is part of the warp and woof of, of the world and uh, at, at, at its base are issues of worldview uh, challenging one another just as we see in any other arena. So it is not a completely foreign field. At the same time, 
it is a distinct calling and a distinct uh, set of, of terms and ideas that need to be appreciated as that. And getting uh, for, for Christians who are in the calling, uh, callings related to public policy, that is something that uh, those in a theological calling, a pastoral calling can appreciate and learn from and vice versa. That reciprocity, I think, is something that can be really rich in the church and learning from one another in our respective callings, helping those two callings to inform one another for the better application of scriptural truth in our uh, public life. Jennifer, in addition to having a bachelor's degree in French from Wheaton and a master's degree in statecraft and world politics from the Institute of World Politics and a master's of arts and religion from Reformed Theological Seminary, proving that you are a true polymath, you're in the middle of a of dissertation work now at the Catholic University of America in the area of moral theology and ethics. Um, can you tell us about some of the work that you're doing right now at the academic level? So I'm reflecting a lot on image of God and uh, questions of anthropology, I think, are so critical right now for our public life. Uh, most of the questions that we are faced with in public life have to do ultimately with what it means to be human. Um, so whether we're talking about uh, understanding uh, marriage, understanding gender identity, uh, poverty questions, uh, the issues related to just war, uh, anthropological reality is at the base of each of those. So, so biblical anthropology and particularly how we can help form Christians in the church on those topics is of great interest to me. And then to the, um, the architecture and the, the framework of public theology and how to think about uh, the theory behind the praxis. Um, thinking about particularly how we do formation in public theology is of great interest to me now. That's fascinating. We're going to have to use that as a teaser for the next time that we get you on to talk about anthropology. Um, I'd love to have that conversation too. But until then, we need to close. And so it's been great talking to you all. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And to everyone else, take care. We'll see you next week. recommendations before I recommend Bob Vink's Christian Worldview translated by Grace Sutanto. By who? Grace Sutanto. Who's that? Oh, great. Great. Yeah. great oh my goodness. I don't want to just keep chiming in on Bob Vink. People can start to predict what I'm going to say now. We've gone almost a whole episode without him mentioning Bob Vink. I really think we should just keep this going. I guess yeah, we not even the other Bob Vink. Just not Johan nor Herman. We'll just have to see how long we can go, Gray, without without bringing in Bob Inc. That's right. Yeah, you know, I I'll give up now. <laughs>